1: Welcome to On Boys Parenting Podcast, the podcast that explores and explains boy behavior. We are your co-hosts, Jennifer L.W. Fink of BuildingBoys.net and Janet Allison, founder of BoysAlive.com.
0: Maybe you've wondered about residential treatment programs, boarding schools, outdoor programs, those things we hear about often when we hear about troubled teens and Quote unquote," sending them away. Our guest today has written a book called Troubled, The Failed Promise of America's Behavioral Treatment Programs. This episode is, of course, troubling and yet so important for you to know how to handle your troubled teen and what their best options are to support them into the future. Stay tuned for a difficult conversation, and a hopeful conversation after this message from our sponsor. Did you know that 93% of kids don't eat enough fruits and vegetables? You may have one of those children like my niece who ate only macaroni and cheese for about Six of her formative years, mm-hmm. many kids kind of fixate on one particular food, and you are tearing your hair out, dear listeners, trying to make sure that they have a balanced diet. I will say from from the benefit of the years, my niece now is a grown woman and has two healthy kids, so that mac and cheese sustained her. but our kids need more nutrition than we are able to give them in their regular diet.
1: Which is why so many of us look to vitamins to fill those gaps. And so many of us, myself included, have been dissatisfied with what we find on the shelves. We recently connected with a new to us company called Haya Health, and they have chewable vitamins for kids that are non-GMO, vegan, dairy-free, allergy-free, gluten-free, nut-free, all of that. And they fill in the gaps in modern children's diets in a chewable vitamin that kids love. My guys liked it. And my guys uh, are kind of picky. Yep. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So they've been kid-tested. This is a pediatrician approved, super powered, chewable vitamin. It was created by two dads that were tired of children's vitamins that actually cause more problems than they solve. So, with these vitamins, with higher Health, you know that you're getting zero sugar and zero gummy junk, and yet it tastes great and it's perfect for picky eaters.
1: We've worked with Haya Health, and we have an exclusive offer for you. If you go to Haya Health and use the OnBoys code at checkout, you can get fifty percent off your first order. Go to Haya Health h i y a h e a l t h and enter OnBoys to get that fifty percent off. The discount will be applied at the checkout.
0: So get full body nourishment so that your boys can grow into healthy adults that's hyahhealth.com onboys
1: what i remember of my year and a half in high school being told i shouldn't stay up late chatting with strangers on the internet about computer building and programming hearing i was heading down a dangerous path if i continued missing school and abusing substances believing I was different and therefore bad. My energy wasn't placed on schoolwork, but on what my parents and school counselors glibly called extracurriculars, paintball, building computers, smoking cigarettes, and drinking beer with friends. Longtime listeners, you know those words weren't me talking. You heard I was way too much of a good girl in high school. Those words likely sound familiar to some of you, and to some of you, they probably represent your worst nightmare right now. Those words were written by today's guest, Ken Rosen, and they were published in the Washington Post. Ken has also written for the New York Times. He's been a journalist all around the world. He's published a book that came out earlier this year called Troubled. So you know, hey, the end is good. He turned out okay, which brings up all kinds of complex questions about what we define as okay, because the story is a little messier than that, and we have Ken here today to talk to us about his book, Trouble, The Failed Promise of America's Behavioral Treatment Programs, and his experiences in school, his experience as a troubled teen, and what he has since learned now that he's an adult and a parent himself. Welcome, Ken.
2: Hey, y'all. Thanks for having me.
1: What is that like sitting there and hearing those words and yourself represented and introduced by what I'm sure you don't think of as the high point of your life?
2: I think of it as the high point of my life only now because it's defined so much of my career and the choices I've made professionally and and the choices I now make raising uh, my children. Um, it certainly wasn't the high point at the time, no doubt. Um, it, was a, it was a certain struggle, and it was a struggle many years into my early and mid 20s. But uh, hearing them now, I just I, I, I remember feeling so different and so lost, and so unabashedly tossed aside by all the people that were men- supposed to mentor me and guide me through a very difficult time. Um, and I and I regret that I have to write those words, that I was abandoned in that way and not shown proper guidance, never had the proper male role model and and the proper support of a mother who, had a rupturous son. So uh, I don't think I would r- want to write those words now, having lived through it, You know, needing to rewrite those over and over again, but I think it comes from a good point. I think I'm in a, in a good space now to look back and say, those teenage years were tough for a lot of people, and hopefully we can move past it, move past those weird years of teenage um, uh, craziness, and then help our children become uh, what we believe is better and, and more well-rounded today.
1: One of the things that we do, why we do this podcast, is because we want to help parents and teachers, coaches, anybody who listens, understand boys better. Um, we see so much of a, a, a disconnect between, you know, there's what people think boys should do and how they should be, and then boys' reality, where you're just trying to make it in the world. And I, Janet, I feel like our message is often like, let's have compassion for those boys mm-hmm. and let's not... You know run around with our hair on fire and assume the worst let's love them even when they can look a little unlovable
2: yeah i the conversation around men and boys in america today is one that is so caustic and unfortunate because we rely on understanding our children writ large to then cater to their needs into adolescence and into adulthood. But sometimes we then section them off and say, boys need to be treated differently. Girls need mm-hmm. to be treated differently. There's different expectations for both. When in reality, we're just raising a child and, and we need to be flexible within that those parameters. Now, speaking as a man, <laughs> I really, I, I think my wife would say I'm more Please of a man do. child. I, Please do. <laughs> I never really grew beyond 17 or 18. But I don't really know about boys. I don't really know about men. I can assume what I think other men think, but at the end of the day, my experiences and my own biases are totally different than what someone else might experience. I mean, I was raised mostly by women um, and still had a very difficult uh, teenage upbringing. Um, Some might say I would have been more empathetic in an all woman household, but I I wasn't at at that age. and and it was difficult growing up then to seek out you know male figures when those male personas, as we all know, were so masculine, were so detrimental, and so difficult to really broach uh, because there was that that divide. But I think that's sort of beyond the point now because we've reached into this new era of empathy. I, and I remember saying to my wife, I'd really like to have a daughter first. I'd really like to have a daughter first, in large part because I, it was easier to raise a woman who was empathetic than raise a young man who was empathetic. And that's something now that we're digesting. I have a son, a 17-month-old son and a three-month-old daughter now. So I'm, I'm learning to juggle And think of these things and consider them in both realms now but we'll see how how that turns out in maybe 10 years
1: yeah we'll check
0: back in with you in 10 years Ken, see how and then we'll check (laughs) in in 20 because in
1: 10 years you are not going to be done they're not (laughs) going to be done you know that you at 17 and you today lots happened between that
2: and a lot of a lot of parents reached out to me the the Troubled, The Failed Promise of America's Behavioral Treatment Programs is really about these behavior modification programs for wayward and troubled teens and the parents who decided to send their kids off to this type of program or several types of programs that catered to this rupturous uh, behavior, uh, whether it be sexual deviance or alcohol dependency or drug abuse and so on and so forth, truancy in school. Um, and a lot of the parents wrote to me after the book was published to say that, you know, okay, great thanks for writing about how terrible these programs are, but what do I do? My son or my daughter is acting this way and I don't know how to pull them out. And I've tried to tread very carefully because I don't have experience as a parent. I'm a very young parent and I'm learning things as I go. But my gut instinct is that if a child has gotten so out of hand, a son or a daughter, um, we could talk specifically about sons if you'd like, but if they've gotten so out of hand that you are seeking this sort of treatment, then the family unit has been broken for many, many years. Yes. Um, and my 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 hope for that those parents who are struggling in that time is to remember what it was that led those children astray, which was a lack of communication, not trusting in the parent, finding out that they can trust in their friends more than they can trust in the family unit. And then taking off on these divergent paths that led them away from the family, right? So losing that connective tissue then drove these other bad habits, these other influencers into the lives of these boys and girls and sent them off into a place that frankly is hard to come back from.
0: And I, I, I'm i thinking of several, I'm a family coach and I'm thinking of several clients that I'm working with right now. And, and I mean, they are in... Loving homes. There's not, you know, there hasn't been a history in the family of trouble. It's the, you know, nuclear family, uh, two families actually that are like that with uh, supportive grandparents around them. And still there's this troubled youth in their family. And I mean, it feels like there's this there is definitely a lack of support when things start to go astray. There's not, I mean, we don't have the community infrastructure to support either from an educational standpoint, the schools or to support those families. And, you know, they're just tearing their hair out, throwing up their hands. They really, they feel like there is no option until it gets so bad. You know, they try and try all the things until it gets so bad. And then is it a wilderness program as the next step? So what are your thoughts on like, how do we begin to re-thread this fabric of support around families?
2: I think, I think the community component is a really important one. And that's an entirely different discussion, but one that certainly needs more attention, more funding, more um, support from the community, whether it be the principal saying, look, we have this great program that's, right down the street, or it's integrated into the school, and it won't pull them out of class. So many other options. But uh, as far as the family tissue and the meshing, I mean, I don't know the specific cases of these families, but all of the parents that I've talked to, you know, I interviewed more than 100 former clients of these programs, and many of their parents as well, they all believe that they had a supportive nurturing environment for their children to grow up in but after the third interview fourth interview things start to appear whether it be narcissistic parenting whether it be um, maybe too many boundaries where they're they're not allowing the child to be really branch out and discover themselves and that really brings me to the point of the washington post article you mentioned in the beginning which was my father and mother said you need to follow this path of education and that's it you need to sit in the classroom Mm -hmm. do the studies and when you fall behind it's your fault and if you can't catch up it's your fault again and there's a system in place and you need to do all that and then when you're in college or what do they say like once you graduate then you could decide what to do with your life but if you're in this household you know you'll do as as you're told and so it seems nurturing and it seems like they're providing an an essential support and saying these are the good things you need to do in life to succeed but they weren't providing me with alternatives i'm saying look i'm very socially anxious i don't like being in classes i'm very far behind i'm not learning through a textbook i'm not learning through these professors please, I don't want to do this anymore. And it was always a a combative response. And so I was saying, Mm. look, you need to do this. So that, I guess, really ties into the community component saying there has to be alternative education solutions. There has to be alternative places for these kids to go if if they're not fitting into that mold that, again, isn't really applicable to so many people today with all the different um, developmental needs and emotional needs of our nation's youth.
1: I want to to pause and uh, listeners, think... About what he just said because it is so important and it's a point that we've made here before but it's more powerful to hear it coming from you because you were saying you know you're a kid you know as a kid yes we want to we want to have a good time we want to have friends but you also even though you were just a kid which I'm afraid we use that too often when we look at our sons and our daughters you know what do you know you're just a kid Mm -hmm. Um, you knew the system you were working in wasn't working for you. And I'll share the link to that Washington Post article, because one of the things you point out is that like what looked to your parents like you just wasting your life on the computer, you were learning things. You, you were piecing together something that worked for you, but you kept getting told, as you said, that uh, you're bad, you're wrong, you're failing in school because you're not doing it right.
2: Right, and I think, for instance, like I, I always struggled with math. My father was really good at math; he was going to be a physicist. My grandfather was an engineer, um, and so I had this 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 past where I could ostensibly learn math pretty well. I mean, it's it runs in the family, but I just couldn't find a way into it. And those nightly dwindlings on. Uh, <laughs> computer forums really opened up a way for me to understand oh well if we're talking about cfms for a fan then we have to do this um, this multiplication and then figure out this formula and then applying it in practice was always more beneficial to me and even today my wife says don't go to get your master's degree pick up a bunch of books and learn it yourself because autodidactic approach was always my best way of learning but nobody ever facilitated that in me nobody ever pushed me to do that. And I really regret not knowing that until I was in my mid-20s because I, I lost out on a lot of otherwise good and educational time. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, this is what we all, I mean, you're, you're singing our song, Ken, because this is what Jen and I always talk about is, you know, number one, help them, help boys find their passion and help them see how to make it relevant in the world so you know yeah you do have to learn the times tables sorry people but you do sort of now um but to 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 connect it to reality and that's where that was your doorway in of this is my interest here's the practical way i did that as well i hated math i couldn't do it until i started making quilts and then it was all about geometry and math and it was like oh boom oh it makes so much sense
2: Right, and I mean, we could fault the American education system to oh, yes, a we could. I mean, <laughs> you know, the fact that like you have to keep up with the rest of the class, and if you don't, you're you're failing is is ridiculous to me because that's not any way of learning. That's but, not um, how you know, humans that, that, work. <laughs> right, 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 right. right. Um, and I think so. To go back to what you said, Jenny, about um, can I call you Jenny, Jennifer? Yes, yes, Jenny?
0: that wonderful. <laughs> All of them. <laughs> yeah. I-
2: yeah, my, my father, you know, to go, they're just a kid. My father asked me when I got married, he said, what are you going to do in your marriage that's different than what your mother and I did? And I, I sort of laughed because he was heading into his third marriage. And I said, well, I'm not going to do that. You know, I'm going to be a little bit more committed. But really what I'm going to do is I'm going to focus on listening. And when I had kids, I, I, I remembered saying this to him because listening was never what anyone did for me. I just wanted to be heard. And I spoke so much. And then when nobody was listening, I had to find different outlets. So speaking um, and listening to my son now and saying like, you know, you know, I know he's very young, but what do you need? Okay, well, you can have that. But maybe we should do this instead. What do you think about this? And having a conversation with him at a young age, maybe will facilitate, I hope, sort of a, a relationship where he's comfortable working through those problems with me at a later stage, where he's comfortable coming to me with ideas yes. and questions and and then asking for my experience rather than me just pawning it off on him.
1: I wanna go back to something you said a little bit ago when we were talking about families and often by the time it gets you know this far along that the family unit has been broken. I have gotten into arguments on the internet, which doesn't sound shocking at all, right? What else do we do on the internet? But I have gotten into arguments recently on the internet because I hate the terminology broken home to describe divorced families because for a couple reasons but one is first of all then the implication is that if your parents are still married to each other that your home is intact
0: oh boy or
1: (laughs) well-functioning that's not necessarily true I mean I think we can all think of examples of families where sure mom and dad are in the same house but things are not functioning well And conversely, there are families where the parents are not married, maybe we're never married, and they're functioning and healthy. So to call that broken and the other intact, I think is ridiculous. I don't think it helps us. I don't think it helps our children. And we've often talked also on the podcast about so much of this work is really us as parents getting very, very honest with ourselves and admitting what we don't know and admitting to some of our brokenness and being strong enough to address some of it. Because until the adults do the work, I mean, you can only expect so much from a kid. A kid is not going to do it all by, them, by themselves. The adults need to fix their stuff to better be able to support and see and listen to the child. It includes two of the most abundant proteins in breast milk, and BiHeart actually ran a clinical trial comparing their formula to a leading infant formula, and proved that babies on BiHeart have softer poops, less spit up, and easier digestion. BiHeart is also the only U.S.-made infant formula to use organic, grass-fed whole milk. So if you need baby formula for your baby, consider BiHeart. New customers can get 10% off your first order by using code onboys at byheart.com. That's B Y H E A R T dot com slash podcast, and it is 10% off your first order, byheartcom slash podcast. This is a limited time offer and additional terms and conditions may apply. We all know that vitamins can help fill nutritional gaps in our diet. you can receive a free, free three-month supply of Easy Melt Vitamin D3 with your first purchase. To claim your free D3, visit try.easymelts.com slash That's try, T-R-Y, dot easymeltz, forward slash on boys.
2: Absolutely. Um, You know, the, the parents who believe that they were not the issue were the ones who immediately threw up the red flag for me. Because inherently, if the child is displaying some issues and their biggest influence is the parent that they're around all the time, then there is some form of rubbing off onto that child that they're experiencing, some form of, you know, taking a manipulative tactic that they see their parents using maybe subconsciously and then using it against the parent who doesn't realize that they're, you know, using sure. the same thing that they were against them, uh, which was a problem with me and my mother who I have a wonderful relationship now with now. I mean, we're, we call each other all the time. We visit each other often, but she was um, pressuring me in ways that I wasn't understanding and ways that I felt were, pushing me into a corner and then I would pressure her back and to her, that was me acting out when in fact it was actually my learning how to deal with confrontation through her use of um, bombastic language or, or petty uh, straw man arguments or add, you know, all the ad hominem attacks that I then would just crib as my own.
0: Yeah. You learned it well. You had, you had the masterclass from your mother.
1: And yeah. when you're 16, 15, you didn't exactly have all of that knowledge to be able to say calmly to your mother, well, mother, that is yet again another ad hominem attack. And therefore, <laughs> right. you just throw it right. back at her.
2: Right. And I mean, there are people who went to these these troubled teen programs who then say that they learned how to better address those confrontations and those situations situations at home that led to their wayward behavior, once, return, once they returned from the programs. And they said that, therefore, the programs were actually quite good for me, that I learned all these tools that I needed. And I said, you were sent away by parents who were mistreating you, and you learned tools to deal with them, so that you can go back and deal with the same bad behavior that got you sent away in the first place, only you're not the one doing it's your parents now. And I'm never faulting the parents in this equation. I don't think that it's something people are doing maliciously. I think they're not doing it consciously and that's the problem. They're not willing to sit down and say, look, it's I need help too. I'm in need of help, but the help doesn't necessarily mean you send the child away. It means it's a group effort that everyone needs to be involved. And the programs in question are, um, are not inclusive of the parents they don't do the therapy along mm-hmm. with the kids and mm-hmm. that's the major fallacy there
0: yeah so i think for our listeners benefit jen and i have both read the book but for um our listeners benefit i think we need to talk about these programs and the dark side in your book you said you know you talked about outward bound and knolls and that's like to me that's the 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 pinnacle of going out in the wilderness and finding yourself and 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 those programs have value and so you you put that on a level of oh wilderness therapy for my teen that will be so awesome for them you know I had wonderful experiences in the wilderness when I was a teen so this will be great and we'll send them away and they'll come back and be all different and uh, it's not the case and so what do our what do our listeners need to know about these programs? Some, not all. Can we say, be fair to say some, not all in this or all? I would
2: say the majority of them. I would say the majority of them. I think that there's a problem with the way that they operate insofar as some of the kids are kidnapped in the middle of the night and sent to even the the good programs. Um, There are these education consultants who facilitate the Um, move to these programs out of a high school or private school and and say that these are the beneficial options for the kids. But the programs generally exist as wilderness programs, as residential therapeutic boarding schools and then residential treatment centers, but go by different names of ranches or spas or, or some other ranch uh, name. Um, and parents are sold on the idea that this is a one-stop shop fix for the child, that if you send them away to these programs, if you admit them into these schools, that they will come back better than when they uh, were sent away. It's just not the case. Uh, all of the research and the interviewing I did and the reporting I did, having actually gone through them myself, I know that people don't end up better off after the programs. There's a lot of moral energy uh, complex post-traumatic stress disorder that arrive, arises from being in these programs. But I think the, the, the issue is that the parents are told that there's a one-stop shop, there's a there's a key that can be given to them to fix all of the problems, and that should be the first warning sign, is that nothing in this world can solve a single problem ever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you mentioned Knowles, and I mentioned Knowles too. They're they are college accredited, and you could transfer Knowles credits into college. These programs offered high school diplomas that were never accredited by states. They were never mm-hmm. accredited for use in colleges. It's uh, it was a racket, and I think that 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 should have been the biggest warning sign to most parents is to say, look, they're they're, they're sort of tangentially educational but really they don't require the accredit they don't have the accreditation that is necessary for my child to succeed.
1: Mm-hmm. That to me was scary and startling to realize this lack of accreditation this lack of oversight. I mean it's 2021 and from from what you wrote in your book this is still a fairly unregulated industry. Um, There are examples of people who will be at you know one facility and then that facility will have problems and maybe they'll even be accused of some kind of misconduct and they just go over and work at another facility. Scary stuff.
2: Absolutely. I've, I've been really blessed to have published the book around the same time that Paris Hilton came out with her documentary about her own experience at one of these programs and Ever since then, there's been a slew of lawsuits and a lot of state legislators have reached out and said, "You know, we don't want parents falling into these traps and sending their kids to these terrible programs that leave the children worse off than when they left. So how can we fix this system? So I've seen a lot of really good movement in that regard, but that goes back to the initial community component, right? Knowing what is available in the community and then also fighting for that within your community. Healthcare care is a major issue in the states, and um, I don't I don't envy anyone that has to deal with not having insurance or have to deal with mental health care in the states. But knowing that there are support networks, mostly in major cities, uh, intensive inpatient outpatient programs, excuse me, um, other community therapeutic environments that parents can take uh, their kids to and be involved with, um, these are things that do exist, but they're not as prevalent and not, not as advertised mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. these. One-stop shops—they these these perfect fixes for um, a, a boy or a girl who just lost their way.
0: Well, and to really underscore what you said is this idea of send take child send child off, child comes back to family that hasn't changed, and so really finding those programs, especially within your community, that does that is a whole family therapeutic program. It's the parents have to be involved. It's not just send child away, child gets quote unquote fixed.
2: And there's you know there's a social component too. I remember a friend in high school who's still my friend today. He was doing a community therapy, like a like a like a like a 12-step program, but without the 12 steps. where they would all, after class or after school, they would all join and have this sit-down therapy session. And and in that way, they were also integrating the therapy with people who they see in the hallways every day. Mm -hmm. And it seems to me turned out much better. There were issues for him as well. There's issues for all of us. But he turned out pretty well because he was able to maintain that connection to the student body, to people that he could Mm -hmm. go to that weren't his parents, but that weren't some random people in the middle of Utah who... Are backpacking with him through the wilderness mm-hmm.
1: one of the things you point out in the book is that in a lot of ways these programs are preparing kids humans for institution life more than the life within a community so in a lot of ways being in these programs you're prepared for the juvenile detention system you're prepared for adult incarceration because you're not learning the skills to interact with the community at large
2: There's a total arrested development, there's totally arrested development going on there. And, And you end up becoming 21, 22, 23, feeling sorrow, grief, regret, shame, alienation, and you don't understand why, but it's because you didn't get that socialization because you feel more comfortable being behind bars or in handcuffs or being restrained than you do slugging your backpack to class or, you know, trying to interact with a teacher in a nice non-confrontational way because maybe they're not trying to manipulate you into something, but the counselors at these programs certainly are. Um, it's a shame. It's a, it, there's so many lost children now. There's some 50,000 who are admitted to these um, congregate care behavioral modification programs every year still. Wow. And uh, it's a shame how many are being lost to that system and then forgotten.
1: So none of us humans make our best choices when we're under stress. You know, when we're under stress, everything becomes narrowed and we feel pressure. And by the time things have gotten to this point with a child, the child's under stress, the parents are under stress. And we don't know what we don't know. Most people will not have not read your book yet. A helpful person from school says, Hey, here are some options for you. And so, I mean, therapeutic boarding school sounds really good you wrote in the book about the brochures look really good let's outline for parents you know let's say this gets presented to you what should you be looking for you know what questions should you ask beyond this uh, promise that will fix things which I agree should be a red flag what what are some red flags what might signal a reputable program worth considering versus oh, no, stay away.
2: You know, at the end of the day, I can't do the research for the parent. But what I can say is that there are a lot of accrediting bodies that are not accrediting bodies, that are uh, industry-funded and um, industry-staffed accrediting programs that don't actually meet the requirements of, say, a high school GED or a high school diploma equivalent or anything like that that would that would you would send your child away for so that they go to school still and then come back with a good education. I would look closely at the accrediting components. Um, If it's not receiving state funding or if it's not something that is accredited by the state in which you live, um, then I would err on the side of caution. I would also not look at a state. Again, that whole idea of being close to the child and and maintaining contact with the child is something important. if we're, if you're deciding on a behavior modification program, and here's one that I could just, I could, I could say, and then cancel out every program in this, in this industry, if they don't let you freely communicate with your child on a day to day basis, then that's something that should uh, make you turn the other way and go, uh, go away.
0: Wow,
1: it's so powerful to hear that from you. Because you are the voice of both experience and, and research, you know, you've looked at it as a journalist, you've experienced it, and it sounds so obvious when you say it, and yet in that moment of stress, people don't think about that all the time.
2: And it's, and it's in that stress that people don't have the luxury of what I had, which is being a journalist and saying, all right, well, I'll just, I guess I'll just ask like 250 people what they yeah. think and get my own. You know get my own research yeah. so I d- don't undermine the difficulties of the daily life of parenting and having to figure out on your own I mean, it's not your job to be a researcher a doctor a psychologist a psychotherapist a clinical psycho. That's not your job Your job is to parent and then when you rely on education consultants or people who might not be there for your best interests um, then you're led astray and it's no fault of the parents. So um, I think again, bringing it back to the community, finding something local, asking other parents who are struggling with the same thing is is the best way forward and not outsourcing, right? I mean, right. we all need our own uh, villages in which to raise our children and our own marriages even. So rely on those, lean in on on the family unit and, and the village.
1: You went through um, residential treatment programs You're now an author. You wrote for the New York Times. You live in Italy. You've been all around the world. So, is it because of the program? People are going (laughs) to want to know that that question.
2: That question has come up a lot. You know, well, er, ergo, you turned out great, right? Um, (laughs) I, I, you know, I would love my daughter or son to work for the New York Times, uh, go to Columbia grad school, but. Uh, The reality is, is that after graduating these programs within six months, I was in juvie. I was locked up for four months for attempted armed robbery. From there, I I went to college. Sure. I drank my way through it. I graduated, made with a 1.5. I didn't have any meaningful relationships. My connection with my parents was tepid at best, you know, and I was skating by and had a criminal, you know, juvenile record and... There are many things into my mid-20s mid that I can't discuss, but there were problems that resounded with what I experienced these programs, not being able to connect romantically with someone, you know, being in abusive relationships but not deciding to get out of it. So, yeah, on paper, my life looked great at the end, but life isn't on paper. And mm-hmm. I was a mess for so many years. I You know, if I could credit anyone or anything, it would be my wife who pulled me out of the gutter and never, never let me uh, break up with her and said, you know, you're crazy. I love you. You love me. And, and we were sticking through this. And she ended up being the exact thing that my parents weren't, which was that supportive. I'm there for you no matter what. I'm here to listen. I'm not here to judge. I'm here to guide you. I'm not here to direct you. And and that, you know, I credit I credit everything to her at this point. Um, so I, the programs didn't help. The programs. Furthered a lot of insecurities that I had and and pushed me into a path that I probably would have done well to avoid. But hey, you know, I joke with my dad, sent me to these programs, but I got a book out of it. So, you know, it can't be that bad.
1: (laughs) Oh, that's a hard way to get a book, Ken.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and it's important to highlight the people who didn't make it to a successful adulthood and who have died by suicide who are still troubled in their adulthood. And to recognize that too and honor those people that have not successfully found their path as an adult.
2: Right, those deaths of despair are real and they happen all the time. Um, most, a lot of them have just graduated the programs or many years after graduating the programs decided to take their lives. There are uh, one case in the book where I mentioned uh, died by uh, homicide was murdered. Um, you know, and, and I tried to balance it very nicely, what I believe to be very nicely in the book to show not everyone ended up dead, but the lives that they're living are not very fulfilling, that they're Mm. very much skating by and trying to do the best they can despite everything that's going on inside them. Um, and those are the worst types of outcomes is, is the people who believe believe so much in themselves believe they have the capacity to do great things and then are subjected and relegated to doing nothing because they're Mm -hmm. so traumatized and so broken and so uh, without that support system still
1: i love what you said about your wife before because love is the transformative power love parent to child romantic love somebody believing in you and loving you and being willing to to stay with you, even through some of your mess, that is the powerful thing that can change the trajectory of a life. And it can happen at any point. You know, obviously your wife came after a lot of this for you. It wasn't too late. There's not a too late to start loving somebody unconditionally.
2: Parents seem to forget that they're there to not only reciprocate love, but to teach through action that the things that they display are what the children will then display back to them. And, and I'm not suggesting that parents be almighty, that they be the perfect example for their children. But what parents, I believe, and what I'm going to try to practice need to be is accepting of their faults and say, I made a mistake. I am imperfect. I don't know what I'm doing here. I should have known what to do here. I shouldn't have said that to you. I, I, I'm i sorry I did that. Your mother and I are at a loss. And, and if we can help you, please let us know. You know, that open line mm-hmm. of communication is something that's so absent. And I've I've said time and again to, to my wife and my, and my son and my daughter, the best that they can understand me is that I'm never gonna direct you and I'm never gonna say um, I know better than you. Because frankly, The way this freaking world is going, at the speed in which it's going, (laughs) I have no idea what they're going to experience. I could not even fathom even associating with some of the things they're going to deal with. So by virtue of that alone, we should always be empathetic and say, look, I don't know what you're going through. All the the counselors in my early high school days and the teachers were like, I was this once and I know what you're going through. You don't. You have no idea what I'm going through. You don't know the environment in which I'm do- going through it. So please, let me teach you. And then maybe then at some point you can come in and say, oh, well, that would work better this way or that might work better than what you're thinking. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I love that, Ken. It it all comes back to love and it comes back to listening, being willing to just be open and listen and what's your experience and I think as parents, too, to recognize it, we don't have it all figured out. And it's okay to admit to our kids. It's not like you're losing ground if you say to your kids, look, you're, you're 15 now. I've never been the parent of a 15-year-old. Help me out. What's going on? What's your experience?
1: It's acknowledging right. the kid's reality because, trust me, when they're 15, they've already figured out that you don't know everything. And if you keep trying to act like you do... You just come across as a hypocrite to them.
2: right that, that vulnerability is, is what we're talking about, right? That key mm-hmm. vulnerability and, and we think of that uh, cliche John Wayne father type who mm-hmm. um, you know is such a solid wall. And that's something that I've, I'm hoping to try or you know implement in my own life is say like, look, I don't know, but let's find out together right? Like, let's go on that journey together and we'll do it uh, as best we can together. But I, d- I don't know all the answers. My mother and my dad always knew everything. And, um, you know, that's a boundary in of itself.
1: I'm not great at predicting the future. I am not psychic by any stretch of the imagination. However, I predict that you are going to do a great job as a parent and I don't want to put pressure on you, but your oldest is only 17 months old and you have already put so much more thought into parenting than many of us have by, you know, our kids are much older. So that bodes really well. I've been parenting for more than 20 years. Janet's got more than 30 years. Should we take Should we take bets, Janet? Like, I don't know. Let's do, thumbs up? Let's do. Double thumbs go up. <laughs> you go, go Ken.
2: Yeah. I, I, appreciate, I appreciate that. And it, I'd be remiss to not bring it back to the book by saying a lot of the people who turned out okay, who have families and are in stable marriages like myself, um, they've all come to me a, a lot. I've spoken to a lot of them. I'm sure there are many that I haven't spoken to. But the people that I have spoken to said, look, we are doing well as parents because we had experienced the exact opposite. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if we could avoid people having to experience that in order to make them good parents, then I think my job here is done yeah
1: you change the trajectory for generations at this point because you will raise <laughs> your children differently and it, it will continue yeah yeah we're gonna Jeez. include a link to your book troubled uh, the failed promise of america's behavioral treatment programs in our show notes if people want to know more about you and your work where can they find more information
2: uh kenneth rrosen.com is a great place to start, but for any parents that are struggling with troubled teens or a troubled child or a troubled, uh, troubled uh, daughter or son, please please feel free to write me, uh, KennethR.Rosen at gmail.com. I'm more than happy to take the time to answer anyone who's willing to open up and, and ask any questions that might not have been answered today or not in the book or anything at all. I'm, I'm just an open book and hoping to help wherever I can.
0: That is so generous, Ken. Thank you so much for your book. Thank you for highlighting this uh, area of life that maybe we didn't know about before. And uh, we'll just be wishing you all the best in your parenting journey.
2: Thank you too for all the great work you're doing as well.
1: Thanks for listening. If you liked this episode, please share it with a friend. And if you can, please consider supporting our sponsors. When you support them, we are able to better support you.